Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 134 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today's episode is a topic I get asked all of the time. Well, really two topics, both keto and low-carb diets with pregnancy and also supplements with pregnancy. I think DM Instagrammers, that is like the number one hot topic. And I created selfishly this topic so that I could have a resource to answer all of your questions and keep my thumbs from hurting and cramping. (laughs) So uh, we'll be talking about if you need carbs in your diet um, in today's episode and how much during pregnancy. We will be covering five micronutrients of focus, foundational supplement formulas, uh, as well as supplements to avoid, and then herbs, including adaptogens that can help to optimize your pregnancy and mitigate some of the symptoms and side effects that tend to be unpleasant and come with the beautiful process. Yes. And I think this is such a kind of gray area, like there's a lot that is unknown or unknown in the research, at least, um, in terms of what is considered safe in pregnancy. And a lot of people just don't want to go there or want to make sure they're really doing it by the book. And I think that's one of the urgent email questions that I get all the time too. Like, oh, I just got pregnant. Which of my supplements do I need to stop? So I Mm -hmm. think today we'll be shedding a lot of light on actual clinical data and application. Um, And then as we've been doing, I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire at the end when we get into supplements to hear how you troubleshoot certain symptoms of pregnancy. Sounds good. So yeah, I've done guest episodes uh, on many people's podcasts in the keto community. Um, Vanessa Spina, Anthony Gustin, a couple that where I've discussed my approach to low carb and my process of pregnancy. Um, And, you know, when we're looking at big picture, there are episodes in the past that I have done. So we have, we'll share in the episode notes. We have one episode per trimester of my pregnancy with Stella, as well as an episode on infertility. And then of course we have elements like uh, keto and women's hormones, which is episode 121. And you guys know how I feel at, at the ketogenic diet being one of the best tools to help with fertility. And yet we don't always talk about how the body naturally produces ketones in higher amounts during pregnancy and that the baby and and fetal development can thrive on ketones as much as it can glucose. Um, So we'll talk a lot today about some of the science and the methodology and um, I think demystify some of the information out there that when we learned as registered dietitians, you know, we need 175, this arbitrary amount, grams of carbs a day for baby's brain development, and really kind of the, the foundation of where that came from and up-to-date science. 
Yes. So for all you newcomers, I will link back to some of those episodes that Allie mentioned um, on infertility, one per trimester. Um, She'll talk about opting out of an oral glucose tolerance test, which I think is a very hot topic and so, so much more. I think that's in the second trimester, but you know, I... It's it's all a blur to me. I'm, I'm on the other side. I'm on the other side, um, and so you know you'll continue to see in, in today's episode. Again, we're at 134. There's always going to be evolution of perspective, and so I know during my pregnancy, I pretty much hung around 60 to 75 grams of carbs, which was likely producing ketones. I wasn't monitoring ketones at that time. I, I did do uh, some glucose monitoring strips as my alternate option to the oral glucose tolerance test. Um, but you know, we'll talk about later how 60 to 75 grams of carb intake, which is more of just like a low glycemic, low carb diet likely is ketogenic within pregnancy. And we'll talk about my perspective to date, um, versus an intimate recollection of my personal pregnancy, which would be in past episodes. Got it. So we will start by just kind of setting our foundation. I think it's important to, um, set the foundation of optimal eating, whether we're talking about whether or not carb restriction is appropriate and also what supplements would be essential. So let's start off with what nutrients you want to focus on for optimal prenatal nutrition. What are the big ones? Okay. So yeah, we'll just kind of name like five and then some food as medicine solutions and then talk about the the diet as far as carb demand and, and metabolic impact with pancreatic development and babe and, and that whole role as well. So the minerals of focus, generally speaking, are calcium, magnesium, and iron. So calcium first, this is a big emphasis with prenatal health because the developing baby is going to need calcium to help to build their bone and teeth structure. We also know that it can help with uh, the impact on a chemical level as far as heart uh, function, so healthy heart function, nervous system, and muscles, you know, contraction and release with other electrolytes in the body. And this is going to help to develop that rhythm for baby's heart and play a role with blood clotting abilities. And we know that optimized calcium status in women uh, during pregnancy can help with reduction of hypertension or elevated blood pressure, as well as preeclampsia which generally means then that mamas are going to carry more of a full term. And optimized calcium can also help with things like shoulder dystocia and other structural stresses for babe during the delivery process and ensuring um, healthy connective tissue function. Awesome. And then food is medicine focused. Would you supplement with calcium during pregnancy? So really getting about 400 milligrams of calcium in your supplement can be enough as long as you're getting dietary food sources. So we'll talk about, of course, as we get to supplements, Multiavil Mama, Mm -hmm. which is my naturally nourished prenatal, is going to be a highlighted formula, obviously, as what I feel is the best foundational supplement tool out there to support healthy growing babe. And that has around 400 milligrams. You know, we talk about 1,000 milligrams, um, and that's often recommended, recommended amount with osteopenia. Now, if you know that you have calcium deficiency based on a micronutrient test, you might add in like an MCHC form, like our osteofactors, uh, which is a great form of calcium from actually uh, bone-derived sources. But when I look food as medicine, I drive with bone as well. So I look for like canned salmon um, or doing sardines 
fish that have bone canned, that canning process and that heat is going to soften the bones and provide you about 400 milligrams per cup of intake. So doing like salmon um, patties with that or sardine cakes, really great nutrient dense pack. And then supplementing the diet as well with some foundational intake from foods like leafy greens, almonds, blackstrap molasses, if you're making my anti-anxiety diet cookbook, chocolate chip cookies, perhaps. All of these sources are going to have about like 70 milligrams of calcium per serving. Okay, awesome. So may not even need to add that supplement if you're getting that food as medicine focus in. Um, and then beyond that, you mentioned magnesium and iron as the other minerals of focus. Yeah, so magnesium will have a big overlap in its functions as far as like nerve, muscle, cardiovascular health. Magnesium also for mama can be very powerful anxiolytic or anti-anxiety tool. Magnesium for mama can help with muscle aches. As we know, it can help with inflammation. It can help with blood sugar response, depth and quality of sleep. So definitely an essential one that we know is safe. And I'll talk more about magnesium when we get to supplement forms. But as far as leafy greens, those are one of my favorite forms that are going to cross, as you'll see, which is why almost every plan I have, two to three cups of leafy greens are a daily foundation because that's going to help not only just with calcium goals, but also magnesium and folate when we get there too as a recommendation. Um, so leafy greens would be a really essential one for magnesium as well. And then my friends, dark chocolate. And <laughs> what are other magnesium yes. ones that you like, Becky? I mean, chocolate's always a big go-to. And then nuts and seeds then um, kind of mix yeah. nut butters. Um, I like that Nutso product that has like seven or 10 different nuts that are um, nuts and seeds that are combined. Totally. I think that's great too. So beyond minerals, I'll save... Well, let's do iron too. Let's yeah, stay on yeah, the yeah. mineral game. Because weren't so, you iron deficient? Um, I, I was. Second trimester, I, I'm remembering. Yeah, but, and it was okay. undiagnosed. I yeah. had to keep asking them to draw my iron. And, and again, listen to that episode when I talk about the frustrations and, and petechiae. I had all of the, you know, like the red dots. I was dealing with really um, significant brain fog and fatigue and shortness of breath. And I had a history of very low ferritin from my vegan days. Um, and so I was pretty familiar with the signs of iron deficiency anemia. So uh, something to definitely watch out for. And the big reason is that, you know, iron is the primary mineral that allows blood to carry oxygen through the body. So shortness of breath is one of those primary signs of deficiency, right? And during pregnancy, we need twice as much iron because there's an increase in our blood volume by the end of pregnancy to about 40 to 50%. And then, you know, baby needs iron crossed through the placenta to make its own red blood cells. And um, also the potentiality of during the birthing process, having loss of blood. Uh, so iron is a really important mineral to be mindful of. And, you know, most prenatals are going to double in the sense where like, for instance, our uh, multi-defense with iron has 15 milligrams of iron in a chelated form. And then the uh, multi-avail mama has 30 milligrams. So most multis, you'll see that a prenatal is also about double the amount of a uh, other multivitamin for a woman that is menstruating. Because, you know, we generally recommend iron as a supplement for women menstruating because they are losing blood monthly, right? 
So iron is super important. And one of the best ways that I love getting iron that I made a huge lifestyle change with even in the vegan process was cooking with a cast iron. So that's one of the best ways to get elemental iron in the diet, especially if you're using acids to reduce. So if you're using like tomato juice from canned tomatoes um, or little bit of vinegar in your pan or lemon or lime, um, citrus as an acid, that's going to help to even enhance that release of iron further. And then same deal with when we're cooking with iron-rich foods. So I think of as far as the red meat family to have more of that heme, bioavailable iron, and then liver as an organ focus to get even more rich bioavailability of iron. And then with our vegetarian forms, which are going to be in a less bioavailable, we want to always pair those with vitamin C. So dried peaches, spinach, and almonds are all good forms of iron as well in a plant form, but most bioavailable in the animal form and the cast iron skillet. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So check, check. I'm already cooking in a cast iron all the time. Good. Um, <laughs> um, and then let's go back. Let's talk about omega threes a little bit. Cause I think this is one um, that most women look for in a prenatal. And a lot of times the prenatals I see out there are just really, you know, they advertise that they have DHA and it's like such a small, ridiculously minute amount. Totally. Yes. So omega-3s are super important to offset that ratio of the pro-inflammatory omega-6 fatty acids in the body. And the omega-6s are coming higher in our seed and vegetable oils, as well as especially soy and um, canola. So we do want to watch out for those foods. Uh, corn corn and soy, excuse me, are the higher. Um, canola is kind of moderate, but corn and soy are very high omega-6 pro-inflammatory. And these can drive preeclampsia, preterm labor, um, also can just drive inflammatory processes like headaches and just body aches and gunk, yuck in the body. So reducing inflammation with omega-3s is really key as well as focusing on optimizing fetal brain development. We know that that DHA plays a role all the way through the life cycle, even into prevention or um, aiding in cognitive function or preventing Alzheimer's with the advanced aging processes. So DHA, very important component, as well as EPA as those end products of the omega-3s. And I love sourcing from fish because fish is going to be the most bioavailable. They take that ALA precursor of the omega-3 chain, which is what we would see in like flaxseed, and they convert in processes through the liver and kidneys, through desaturase and elongase, and make the EPA and DHA. So when we're selecting fish, it is important to be mindful. You know, one of the big fear phobias for pregnant women is mercury and mercury contamination in fish. And this, there is a lot of, you know, sound science on the fact that methylmercury load has been released into our waters. And a lot of it came from coal-fired power plants and, you know, other industrialized pollutants. And there is a bioaccumulation in the larger fish. So especially we see like shark and tilefish. Um, these are ones to really watch for king mackerel because, the smaller fish get eaten by larger fish and that mercury is going to accumulate in the fatty tissue. And so if we're sourcing for the fatty acids of the omega-3s, we want to make sure that we stick to the smaller, lower mercury options. 
Yes. And making sure that our fish oils are sourced from those smaller fish as well and are um, third-party assessed for contamination. But yeah, yeah like skipjack tuna would be a good alternative to um, you know, some of the larger. Yes. Thank you. I was looking for that word. Skipjack <laughs> would be alternative. Wild salmon, um, red snapper, any of those fish would be good options um, as well as things like mackerel and, and sardines. Sardines, yep. And yep. and you don't want to go for the larger fish. So again, you don't want to do the albacore tuna. You'd want to do, sometimes it's called light tuna, but skipjack is the name of the smaller fish. And, um, you know, the other beautiful thing that you're going to get with eating fish, I, I recommend six to eight ounces three times a week. And you're going to get some wonderful trace minerals that also play a big role in fetal development. In fact, things like iodine and selenium, which can also support the health of mama's thyroid. But we have seen in studies that iodine deficiency in infancy can lead to learning disabilities. So another way to boost brain function. And like you said, I don't want to let it go without really highlighting even more importantly, potentially, if you're purchasing and choosing to add a omega-3, which you should, a prenatal capsule that's powdered is not going to be able to give you an effective dosage of DHA. Let me just be very clear. You need a oil, a fish oil capsule added to your prenatal regimen. And you want to look for about two grams a day. And yes, the sourcing is important, but also ensuring that it's third-party assessed for potency, so you know you're getting your bang for your buck, but also toxicity and purity, right? So we actually want third-party testing for mercury as a byproduct and contaminant, as well as other marine contaminants. And um, you know we think of all of the petrochemicals that are out there now, and then also ensuring that there aren't fillers like soybean oil, which we've heard about in a lot of like the Costco fish oils and such. Sure, and we'll get into what else you can look for in a fish oil, but I'd, I'd say. That is, you know, second to a prenatal. That's always the second thing that I go for in all expecting mamas or women who are trying to get pregnant. Like you got yes. a good fish oil. Yep, absolutely. So we did calcium, magnesium, iron, omega threes. Um, let's talk last on a micronutrient level about B vitamins. Yeah, so important. So, yeah, you know, and you guys have heard me talk about in prior episodes when we have talked about the role of epigenetics and, you know, pregnancy is a huge, huge piece of this puzzle, right? Like baby's genetic code obviously is created up upon fertility and this whole process of growth in utero is this element of influence of mom's stress levels, mom's diet, mom's sleep, mom's nutrient status of course. And we started learning about the importance importance excuse me of B vitamins when refined grains hit the market, right? And so when we started making like wonder bread and these refined flour-based foods that were not enriched, there started to be big impacts with neural tube uh, issues with babies, um, neural tube development issues and spinal bifida. And so these growth defects were tied back to the essential nutrient of folate. And this is a B vitamin, vitamin B9. And um, we know that when grains are refined, that these nutrients are removed. And so it became, you know, governmental policy to enrich all flowers. 
The issue is that these enriched foods have a synthetic form, folic acid, which is very different from a bioavailable natural form of folate. And so for people that have that MTHFR gene or that methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase element in their genes, um, you know, that's going to play a role on their utilization. And that folic acid can actually build up and be unfavorable. It can drive more anxiety um, or concerns in the body. So we want to avoid actually enriched foods as a first recommendation. And then we want to focus on the bioavailable foods. So we want to focus on the options like, you know, getting in our egg yolks and liver and greens. These are going to be really great options for us. And then beyond folate, another nutrient in the B vitamin family that I need to emphasize is going to be choline. So choline is a nutrient that is heavily um, discussed in the Institute of Functional Medicine, and this is where I did a lot of my advanced training. And I talk about choline in the anti-anxiety diet, uh, actually, as acetylcholine being the conductor of our neurotransmitter signaling. Right. And so this is a really important piece of the puzzle for mood stability and cognitive function. We see a big impact with memory um, and fetal brain development. Um, and so choline is actually very rich in our egg yolks. I recommend about a dozen eggs a week, 12 to 16 eggs a week for pregnant mamas. And yes, the yolk is where it's at for those bioavailable B vitamins. Awesome. And I know when we were looking for a prenatal to add to our line, that was a big thing that was missing in a lot of the ones out there. Even good quality prenatals didn't have necessarily a um, hefty dose of choline. Choline, yeah. right. They'll have folate, usually right. in that 800 micrograms, but right, not always getting that choline. And, and then some of the other B vitamin forms or the folate is not in the ideal form. It's going to be folic acid. So if it doesn't note that it's in a nature-made quadrifolate or a uh, methylated form, that is not one that you want to be putting in your body. Yep. You just want to toss that in the trash. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Um, and let's just speak to... Um, protein needs during pregnancy? Because I know this is another big area of focus. Yeah. And, you know, I talk about this a lot with all of my pregnant mamas, especially when we're talking first trimester, because that's when the majority of the vital organs are being formed, really essential focused time for nutrient density in the diet. And unfortunately, a big time of eating adversions for mama, mm -hmm. you know, when we're dealing with morning or all day sickness, really, um, <laughs> nausea, just, just food adversions. Like I said, where foods that you used to love aren't tasting and looking right or temperature adversions and things like that. Protein can be a little bit tricky, but definitely we see that protein rich diets aid in maintaining pregnancies to full term as a uh, highest successful nutrient there. And it's the highest malnourishment risk. So ensuring that you're getting a good amount of protein, at least 80 grams a day for most mamas is an essential intake. So we're talking about of, of biological foods, like 10 ounces of protein a day. 
Yeah. And that's when I troubleshoot a lot with um, mamas to be like, okay, how are we getting this in you? Is it a smoothie? Can you tolerate soups right now? Okay. Like we're going to add a couple scoops of gelatin in there or some collagen, or if you're doing more like um, craving more like bread, like substances, doing like the collagen zucchini muffins as an option and, and really doubling down on the protein in the ways you can tolerate it and get it in. So you might not be doing tons of wild caught fish in the first trimester, but trying to figure out where you can fit it in. Exactly. And the grass-fed way, the naturally nourished grass-fed way is a really fantastic biologically available. So you're actually going to get, it is a complete protein. So that's where I would say it would be superior to even collagen and gelatin. They they have their own redeeming properties, especially when we're talking about like third trimester and having connective tissue support and good uh, focus on mama's skin to prevent like stretch marks and such. That's where collagen and gelatin are definitely focused friends Um, or, you know, connective tissue repair postpartum. But I would say in the first trimester and even second trimester, I would drive with grass-fed whey if you can tolerate it because you're going to get those immunoglobulins when the immune system is otherwise somewhat compromised. Uh, And you're going to get a more biologically available complete protein, which is going to be fantastic for getting those grams of daily need. Yeah. And again, that one can be snuck into baking and and all sorts of recipes too. Um, Totally. And even if you're doing a couple scoops of that and can only do one, you know, toothy protein meal, that'll be better than nothing. Absolutely. Totally. Okay. Um, And then I know you're a big fan, you know, throughout pregnancy and really in all people's diets of fats. Um, Yeah. How would they fit in? Eat more. Just eat more fat all the time. (laughs) Exactly. Um, How would these fit in though to support a healthy pregnancy and what are areas of priority? So fats are going to aid in hormone production. You know, all hormones are made from fat as a building block. Fats are going to aid in satiety. If you're choosing whole food fats, so quality sourced saturated fats like your coconut oil, your ghee, your grass-fed butter, your grass-fed pasture-raised protein products are going to have all those healthy saturated and monounsaturated fats, right? And so fats themselves can be anti-inflammatory and then provide nice uh, either enhancement of bioavailability or nutrient sources themselves for A, D, E, and K, those fat-soluble vitamins, and really help with gland and hormone development for a babe. Okay. And then that brings in the concept of keto. So let's talk about it. Uh, Most of the foods that we listed though for calcium and iron and B vitamins, um, proteins, and fats would all be abundant in a ketogenic diet. So would this be an optimal diet for pregnancy? So, so true, right? All of these foods fit, generally speaking, a low-carb, high-fat diet, um, and especially one that has a, a higher amount of moderate protein, right? I, I, I think the first thing to discuss, though, before I, I talk about directly keto and pregnancy is that the goal of a pregnant woman should be on providing nourishment to their growing baby with food as medicine and whole real foods. So that means that a pregnant woman should be equally focused on practicing avoidance of processed high glycemic foods as well as processed chemical shit storms, right? <laughs> that could be providing stress to baby's development. And then on the other end of the spectrum, consuming an abundance of nutrient-dense 
whole food. So we want to get focused minerals, such as, as I mentioned, iron, magnesium, focused vitamins like choline, and a delivery that is in rich organic produce, clean proteins, and quality fats. Now, with that being said, if a pregnant woman's body makes ketones based on them eating in an abundance of those choice foods and the avoidance of the high glycemic processed foods, and based on their body's metabolic demand and their movement, that is beyond acceptable. So it is beyond acceptable to make ketones during pregnancy because your baby can grow and develop using both glucose and ketones. A baby can be a hybrid machine in its fetal development, just like an adult can, just like an elderly person can, or throughout our life cycle. But I do want to make clear that I don't set the goal of being, with air quotes, ketogenic or on a quote unquote keto diet to max out ketone production, right? Because just like anything, and I also don't recommend the use of exogenous ketone products during pregnancy. You know, too much of anything can be stressing to the body. And with that being said, I also don't recommend fasting because I think that fasting as a tool to upregulate autophagy or catabolism is not ideal for the state of pregnancy. You know, a pregnant woman should be focusing on, again, abundance of nutrient density. They're going to have enough natural adversion to eating and timestamps where it's going to be difficult to nourish their body that they shouldn't be focused on restriction. They shouldn't be focused on timestamp eating or rigidity to get their quote-unquote ketones up. That's not the end-all, be-all goal. Okay, so not a time to bring in the ketone meter or focus on active weight loss, obviously, but focusing on nourishing foods. And then, you know, if we want an apple or a sweet potato or something like that, fitting that in just as well as as the other uh, more nourishing fat and protein foods. Exactly, right. Being intuitive and focusing on nourishment is going to be the most foundational focus, not being on a keto diet. But again, I wouldn't be fearful if your body is making ketones and it could be actually positive. Okay. So it would be safe in theory to get into a state of ketosis. And and with that said, what would you say like on the low range of carbs, if we are tracking macros or just trying to stay mindful, what would that look like? Well, yeah, let's talk about kind of how natural it is for women to make ketones. How about in the first place? Because I think that that's something that is important to wrap our minds around. Again, in medical literature, if you search like keto, I mean, in medical literature, there isn't anything out there right now on women practicing quote unquote nutritional ketosis and pregnancy, right? But there are studies out there about healthy non-diabetic pregnant women eating a quote-unquote regular diet and seeing ketone elevation after a 12 to 18-hour fast. So, you know, if they're having a late breakfast or skipping that morning meal because of nausea, their body is going to be making ketones. And these are people that might be eating 90 to 150 grams of carbs within that eating window period. So it's interesting to see that a woman in, in a pregnant body versus a non-pregnant body tends to be threefold higher likely to produce ketones. So that's something important for us to understand, you know, and I think it's because of this, if you go back to like hunter-gatherer mentality, ketones are a fuel source for baby's development, right? So in a pregnancy state, the body's more prone to production of ketones in times of absence of eating. 
again, not that I'm recommending not eating. I'm just stating that in a healthy woman, they're going to produce ketones even if they aren't carb restricted during those windows between eating, generally speaking, sleeping. And we see as pregnancy evolves that there tends to be actually more insulin resistance as you get into that second and third trimester, right? So we see the impact, um, you know, and that's where we start to started to test for gestational diabetes in the last couple decades, because we were seeing things like macrosomia and, you know, this impact of large large fetal development, um, not getting through term and, and diabetic complications in babies. And it's because as the pregnancy process evolves, there's actually more insulin resistance and the body tends to put out higher levels of insulin in the first trimester to prepare the body for the pregnancy process. Okay. So we wouldn't necessarily need to be worried about ketones harming the fetus, it sounds like, and and a ketogenic state or, you know, keto light, I guess we would call it, could actually be super favorable, it sounds like, for preventing some of those complications. Yeah. And there's a study that I will reference in here that looks at the metabolic impact in fetal development, and it estimates about 30% of baby's energy comes from ketone production. So that's a pretty substantial amount, again, and that's in someone that's not directly carb-restricting. So we know that ketones are going to be produced and utilized by baby's development and, and likely are an important component or essential, I would say, component in fetal development. Awesome. Okay. And we'll make sure we link to these studies in our show notes for those that are interesting interested in nerding out and going a little bit deeper. Um, so I think it's really important to connect to that likely um, the diet shifts we're talking about aren't a radical change, especially for a lot of our listeners. And, and um, if they're already practicing, you know, a low carb lifestyle, probably not a huge dynamic change um, in terms of intake or a dynamic change in terms of metabolic state of our body. Um, and before we go any further, let's have a word from today's sponsor, CrowdCow. Okay. Today's episode 134 is proudly sponsored by CrowdCow, who delivers the very best craft meat from farm to your table. You get to learn in the experience of selection as you get to know about the breed, the style of beef, and you get to virtually meet the small independent ranch that produced your product. So when we're talking about a lot of these nutrients of focus, like iron and um, getting in quality omega-3 fatty acids and such, grass-fed, grass-finished beef delivered right to your door from quality sourcing, maybe food is medicine at its finest. Yes. And I love that you can pick the exact cuts that you want and have them delivered when you want them. So it's not a subscription service. You can choose you know, your range of grass-fed, grass-finished, or grass-fed grain-finished if you're looking for a different texture or mouthfeel. They have amazing cuts like A5 Japanese Wagyu. That's a real treat. And then they've got on the other end of the spectrum, their dry-aged grass-fed, grass-finished beef, uh, ground beef, which is also kind of amazing. I had some burgers at Allie's about a month ago and totally I'm amazing. thinking about them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't buy ground beef anywhere other than crowd cow. Now I'm totally converted and changed. And the price point is also a really great value. And like I said, both texture and taste and nutrient density is just phenomenal. So go over to crowdcow.com 
backslash naturally nourished. Uh, that lets them know that you're listening to the show and you found them through us and you save $25 off and get free shipping on your first order. Again, it's crowdcow.com backslash naturally nourished. Okay, so if we're discussing application of a low-carb diet in pregnancy, I know our virtual keto program, we would put pregnant women in that like phase 1.5, which like I said, is kind of keto light, if you will, Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> versus, versus like a restrictive phase one. Can you explain this a little bit deeper? Yeah. So, you know, again, there's a lot of fear about the fetus requiring glucose for growth, and that's definitely true. But be mindful that we can produce glucose via gluconeogenesis, right? So again, the baby's body is a hybrid machine. Um, with that being said, though, I also don't like to over-restrict, as I said, because we can lose out on some biodiversity in the diet. And I want to focus on providing a good variety of produce in the diet. And I don't want a woman to be fearful of carbohydrates in their diet. So generally speaking, the lowest that I go is a gentle low-carb approach, which is phase 1.5. And this is ranged within my virtual keto program or my anti-anxiety diet. I have a phase one and a phase two. Phase one is like tight keto control of less than 30 grams total carbs a day. And day two is, excuse me, phase two is used in carb cycling protocols, which is going to generally be over 75 or even over 90. So it's like 75 to 120 grams of carbs is kind of where that phase two eating fits. Now, many pregnant women will do fantastic staying in a phase two, but 1.5 is going to be a good one if you have any metabolic stress in your system um, or are looking for tighter carb control for the cognitive, mood stability, or body composition support, um, especially if you did go into that pregnancy somewhat overweight. So phase 1.5 is generally speaking about 55 to 75 grams of carbs per day. This is about where I ranged or like a heavy 1.5, I'd say during my pregnancy. So generally speaking, this is going to look like for a 1500 calorie intake, which is probably a little low for active pregnancy. We'd want to be at about 2000 calories. Um, so yeah, big picture macros, I was going to give you per gram. Um, but in percent, you're looking at like 15 to 20% of the diet coming from carbs, about 60% of the diet from fat and about 25 to 30% of the diet coming from protein. And that's going to be a really good distribution to keep your blood sugar levels stabilized, aid in getting that nutrient density and, um, still getting the benefit of ketone production. Yeah. And regardless of, you know, where your carbs are falling, really, we want to be mindful and moderate carb intake anyway, as these tend to be foods that are lower in nutrient density. And then that blood sugar elevation can definitely have deleterious effects on development. Totally. You know, especially in the first trimester, actually, the first eight weeks of pregnancy is when all of the vital organs are being formed. And so, like I said, it's that tricky time because carbs tend to be the best go-to when dealing with nausea, but I would still use my no naked carb <laughs> mantra, if you will, as far as pairing carb foods with proteins and quality fats. Um, that's going to help to aid in lowering the glycemic impact of a carbohydrate-rich food. But carbs would be a reasonable thing to go to in the first trimester because, like I said, your insulin levels are increasing. 
So your pancreas as the mama actually gets larger in your pregnancy around like the 10th week of the pregnancy. It's going to start producing three to three and a half times more insulin than it does in a non-pregnant body. And so one part of morning sickness or just nausea could be from hypoglycemia. So it's important to think of that, you know, this first half is where you're going to be higher risk for blood sugar drops because of that physiological insulin production. And then usually women get into that insulin resistance stage at half term or onward. The second half of their pregnancy is when they're dealing with insulin resistance, and that's when blood sugar levels tend to trend up. So that would be the more focused time to really focus on carb control. Um, And that would be the time where you can really reduce the carbohydrates when likely the nausea has reduced as well. So that's totally wild. I just learned something new that there's a physiological shift in the, the size of the pancreas. I didn't realize or recognize that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you know, again, just kind of a reminder on this whole metabolic impact for babe, right? So glucose crosses the placenta, but insulin levels do not, right? So baby starts making their own insulin, you know, towards the end of that first trimester. And so, you know, you're ramping up your insulin production as well, and baby's making insulin. Um, And so again, it's okay to give yourself some amount of carbs to ensure that blood sugar stability is maintained. Just be steady with the diet versus irregular. And I also find that when you liberalize your control, you tend to eat more intuitively, and then you don't go on any like binge behavior because that would be the most distressing for the fetal development is like high spikes of sugar or intake of like, you know, cake, cookies, processed foods when that's not regular for the diet. And that's exactly why I recommend opting out of an oral glucose tolerance test because it's a foreign intake. Your body is not used to, if you're eating paleo or low carb, your body is not used to that refined processed blood sugar spike And so you may, quote unquote, fail the test because it's not something that's consistently or commonly in your body. So it's like this refractory response. And um, it's not going to be a positive impact for babe. I would rather much manage and monitor my blood sugar levels to show my doctor that I'm low risk for gestational diabetes. And then I'm managing that with a low carb diet. Yes. And you get into detail on how someone could do that or how you did it in that second trimester episode. So I'll make sure we link to that. Uh, But I think that really helps to solidify things for listeners in terms of where we stand with low carb and or keto and pregnancy. Um, So we've covered top five nutrients of focus. We've hit some of the food as medicine prescriptions, and we've hit on macro support for optimal health. Let's get into supplement essentials and what we need to focus on throughout pregnancy. Yes. So the big thing that we look at, as I said, quality prenatal is an absolute essential. And I recommend being on a quality prenatal for a year prior to getting pregnant. Now, no guilt and shame if you hadn't started it earlier. Get on it just as soon as possible. Mine is called Multi-Avail Mama. Um, and one of the highlights in there is that all of the minerals are true chelates. So when a mineral is chelated, it's going to have superior absorption and bioavailability. And that's going to be bar none across standard prenatal vitamins that you see on the market. And then I also highlighted that it has what's called nature folate, which is an active isomer or a natural occurring form of folate as a combination of L5 methyl tetrahydrofolate and calcium folinate. 
um, which are going to be in the place of synthetic folic acid. So when you're looking for like your iron, you'd want to find ferrochill as the chelated form of iron and also chelated forms of zinc and so forth. And as I mentioned, the calcium in the multi-avail mama is going to provide that half of your daily need, the 450 milligrams, and then you get the remaining 400 from your diet. Awesome. And then we had mentioned the EPA DHA extra as kind of a second level of support. Yes. So I recommend getting two grams a day of a combination of EPA and DHA, not two grams of omega-3 fatty acids. So check your label. It could be 12 to 16 pills of something that you buy over the counter. And in my EPA DHA extra, it's going to be two to three capsules that you'd be taking daily within your blend of your multivale mama. And then the third thing I would add on is a quality probiotic. And that'd probably be a nutrient of focus in food as well. I recommend my Restore Baseline Probiotic, which is dairy-free cultured. It's a 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido strains. It has no inulin, no FOS, no prebiotics. You get those prebiotic fibers from the diet and keep your probiotic clean at a 50-50 blend to support immune health as well as be a mood stabilizer, both during pregnancy and postpartum. And as at the time that this episode releases, if not sooner. I don't know if they're live on our website right now, but we just added um, some new supplement bundles, including our mama to be bundle, which includes the multi-avail mama, the EPA DHA extra, and our baseline probiotic with a savings of around 20%. Totally. Yep. So it's 110.15 and that actually gives you your month. Actually, it's two months of the probiotic a month of the fish oil and the multi-avail mama. So you can do those as refills and then you um, can be all set to go with that bundle. So yes, all foundational stuff. I think that we have some time to really go into some rapid fire as far as adaptogens and other whole body support. So let's do it, Becky. (laughs) So I'll name kind of a common pregnancy symptom, if you will, um, or something that mamas might be dealing with. And then um, I'll have you go into what some appropriate supplement tweaks would be. Um, So starting with fatigue, I know that's a big one. And let's talk about within this, uh, the issue with adaptogens and whether those are safe. Yes. So I would first start with my B complex. This is going to add more of that methylfolate. It's going to add uh, more of the B12 and choline. And so B vitamins, we just burn through with stress. And especially those are on high demand. And those are really prone to be I mean, excuse me, very well studied and safe with pregnancy. So that's a first line of defense. Just get more bees in. If if you're not using them, you're urinating them out, but they are very bioavailable in the form in my B complex. So adding that into the playing field will be a great tool or even like the B12 boost as a sublingual midday lozenge. And then yes, adaptogens are super tonifying. So the concept of an adaptogen is to adapt to stress demand and aid with stress-induced fatigue. So a lot of adaptogens have long history of use throughout pregnancy and breastfeeding women. So one of the most well-known, like maca, which is a Peruvian root, um, is often spoke to for fertility because it supports that pituitary gland and that stress access. But um, it has been used for centuries, you know, through the breastfeeding and prenatal product to help to support healthy pregnancy. So that's one that I put in the safety list. And there's classifications of herbs. 
Class one adaptogens are those that I recommend in clinic sticking with. And I will say point blank that my two formulas that have adaptogens have herbs that fall outside of this class. So my adaptogen boost formula and my calm and clear are two that you'd want to weigh out the cost to benefit with your practitioner or your healthcare team. So I wouldn't say point blank that those two would be recommended during pregnancy. Class one adaptogens are going to have a history of safe traditional use. They're going to have no case reports of adverse effects, and they're not going to have significant adverse events in clinical trials and no noted concerns with pregnancy or lactation, as well as no innately toxic constituents, okay? So these are going to be including things like cordyceps. Cordyceps are going to be more in the mycelium family, as would be reishi. These would be great ones to consider as class 1A adaptogens or safe adaptogenic herbs, if you will, although they're both kind of more fungal, I suppose. Um, We also would include within this list uh, erythro and panax ginseng as well as um, American ginseng. So ginsengs are ones that we kind of put on the, f- the fence if you deal with blood pressure issues. Um, they can play a role in vasodilation and they can be somewhat stimulating. So I've seen them to both lower or raise blood pressure. So if you fall in that family, you might want to see how you respond to that uh, before you bring that into your, your repertoire, but it could be a favorable impact on blood pressure regulation. Okay. And then it's the ashwagandha. It sounds like that's in some of our formulas that would be one that's problematic. So ashwagandha is a a class 2B, um, which is kind of on the fence. Um, And then, yeah, there's class C. So it's not class C. Um, And then the one that's unknown is rhodiola in the um, adaptogen boost. There just haven't been enough clinical trials or enough um, of traditional history of use with pregnancy that I could recommend that safely. So that would be the the two that would be kind of the outlier impacts. And I would also make note of licorice root. This is in a lot of teas, like it's used as a natural sweetener in many teas. And this can play a big role in cortisol release from the adrenals, right? And so that can be unfavorable and can have a big blood pressure shift as well for fetal um, development that could be unfavorable. So I do recommend avoiding licorice unless it's in a deglycerized licorice form. Okay, got it. Um, What about supplement strategy for body aches, insomnia, constipation, anxiety, um, listing. I think that's the leading question. We know. So relax and and regulate is the best for high blood pressure, preeclampsia, even dealing with early onset of um, uh, contractions and such. So this is my go-to, relax and regulate. And we know inositol is so supporting in hormone balance, as is the magnesium bisglycinate. So relax and regulate. When people ask me, can I take Calm and Clear during my pregnancy? I'll say, well, I I don't know about that. You can take a B-complex and you can take relax and regulate. And you can take a mushroom blend. Those are the like big go-tos. And then you could also bring in for sleep oat pod or oat straw, German chamomile. In fact, I use in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook a bone broth, an anti-anxiety bone broth that uses German chamomile. And um, I like to do a tea with German chamomile, and I like to blend that with nettle leaf and raspberry leaf to aid with iron and uterine function and health. Okay. And then what about um, melatonin for, for sleep during pregnancy? So that's one that's likely safe, especially if you're pulsing it in and out, not using daily, you know, 
babies have melatonin receptors. Um, and so it's something that is natural antioxidant, but there have been studies in mega doses potentially being unsafe. So again, weigh out the cost to benefit ratio there. Um, but you know, then you see doctors like Dr. Joel Evans with the IFM that does a DIY sleep tonic with valerian hops and California poppy in pregnancy. And that's his sleep tonic for babes. And some would say that California poppies is a class 2B or a class C um, with the opioid influence. So, you know, there's always that weighing out. What is the thing that we're considering as an alternate and what's the cost to benefit ratio? Okay. And yeah, I think it is, you're going to come up more often than not that it's just an unknown risk or, or unknown effect if it's safe or not. Um, so what about anxiety and depression? So that B-complex would be my first line of defense to get methylation function up, as well as things like biotin to stabilize mood function, as well as the relax and regulate and the probiotic. Those would be my foundations. But another new nutrient to discuss would be SAM-E. SAM-E is a natural substance that we have used historically clinically for um, liver toxicity with pregnancy safe. And um, SAM-E has been well studied, found to be safe in pregnancy, and has been used in women with bipolar depression disorders. Uh, 400 to 800 milligrams can be very therapeutic to aid with uh, GI distress as well as um, methylation and mood stability. Okay, awesome. And then what about um, digestive symptoms like heartburn and reflux? So I'd go to digest aid first. So you're breaking down your food particles, getting that hydrochloric acid, that bile. So digest aid from our line is super safe throughout pregnancy and helpful to optimize nutrient status and bowel formation because we know constipation can be an issue. Um, and then we could also bring in that probiotic. You could do a probiotic challenge to see if you would be a better candidate for the targeted strength. You can take slippery elm bark as a good thing as a mucilaginous to coat and soothe. Um, and then you could take ginger. Okay, awesome. And then what about um, anything major to avoid? I know I was surprised to learn that turmeric could actually cause onset of preterm labor as yeah. well as contractions. <laughs> uh, and that would, would that be an avoidance? throughout pregnancy or yeah, just so I wouldn't on? I would recommend not taking the super turmeric supplement. You could still include turmeric in the diet, but I would not take high doses of turmeric and our super turmeric is very potent. So you're better off getting more of the omega-3 as your anti-inflammatory and then other uh, supplements that I recommend avoiding are aloe. Um, so like our GI lining powder really to use more intermittently versus that should not be a daily use. Uh, glutamine is kind of controversial itself as well, but we don't want high dose aloe. Um, also because of uterine contractions, uh, evening primrose, unless you're looking to drive labor at the end of the pregnancy, feverfew, kava kava, and senna. So some of those things that we use for constipation are tools to really watch for as well. And I go to the Natural Medicines Database as a really good resource. We'll make sure to link that in our show notes. Awesome. Um, what about CBD? I get that question all the time. So I would kind of put CBD where melatonin is. You know, we know that from the early embryonic stage that the endocannabinoid system is present. So this signaling network made up of receptors, just like the immune system, just like the neurological system, the central nervous system, the endocannabinoid system is present and CBD plays a role with it. We've seen that embryos actually have cannabinoid receptors that are already active and, and functional. And we know that CBD can have favorable non-psychoactive impact on the immune system. 
and it can aid with growth and development um, and can be anti-inflammatory. So it's one of those that I would say, again, also has not been tested, but has been used through history. We know there's a lot of Jamaican women. There's a lot of now coming out with medical marijuana women that you know are openly admitting use of uh, combination formulas. I would say THC, you know, being psychoactive, probably one that I wouldn't be as easy to jump on. But CBD, I would think likely safe. Got it. And you know, especially with all the products coming out, I think we're going to keep getting this question. <laughs> Over yes. and over and, and could be really supportive with a lot of pregnancy related symptoms like, you know, insomnia and even nausea. Absolutely. So, you know, when we look at all of this together, we can eat a quality, low carb, high fat diet and still supplement the body's demand through targeted nutritional formulas, you know, getting in our probiotic foods, having our bone broth, eating our organs, using smoothies and shakes to aid in that protein at times of taste aversions, and really looking at biodiversity within the diet and clean eating as the end all be all, but not being concerned about a low carbohydrate diet being dangerous for fetal development. In fact, likely keeping your body in optimized blood sugar control is going to help baby thrive and really create a super baby, especially if you're enhancing the nutrient density with omega-3s and the probiotics and ferments and cultured foods. Yes. So much good stuff in today's episode. And we'll be linking for you guys just because I know this is going to be a really hot topic and probably a really um, shared episode. We'll be linking a whole bunch of other resources um, that you can click through on yeah, pregnancy. Say, and yeah, I'll say two of my favorite books just before we let you go. The whole pregnancy handbook by, I mentioned Dr. Joel Evans. Um, that's what I purchased prior to Stella. Great 101 education on just a lot of topics of what the body's going through. Very well referenced. It talks about choline supplementation. It's very thoughtfully put together. The con of that book is that it's very vegetarian focused. It does demonize some health supporting foods like butter and bacon and coconut. So I was super grateful when Lily Nichols, a friend and RD of my uh, group of Real Food RDs, put out after her first book, Real Food for Gestational Diabetes, Real Food for Pregnancy. So I'll link both of her books as well. And I think that her diet is spot on. And she's also really deep in clinical research and nutrient density. So I hope you guys love today's show. Um, and if you did, please go over to iTunes, give us a five-star review and make sure that you share with friends and family because I'm sure that this episode will alleviate some anxi anxieties that some of us are having or some unknowns and help us to feel confident into making super babies. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.